0: If you brought a Bible, let me invite you to begin opening it, and we are headed to the New Testament this morning, to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 5, Luke chapter 5. Whether you've been with us the last several weeks, or maybe you're just jumping in with us now, we are going through a brief five-week series uh, that I've entitled, Five Marks of a Healthy Disciple or Follower of Jesus. Uh, And in this study, we've asked ourselves each week one of five different questions Uh, Not so that we might come before the Lord perfectly, but so that we might come before the Lord in our sin, crying out for his grace, but saying, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you more closely. And so with that in mind, these are the five questions that we continue to work our way through. We are on question number four, but I want to read through uh, each of them each week that we gather. Uh, They are these. When do I worship throughout the day and the week? Where do I grow with others in biblical community? How am I serving and building up the church? This morning, who in my life and in my city needs to be reached with the gospel? And then next week, what do my time, talent, and treasure reveal about my priorities? Uh, I think if you have been looking at these questions for the last several weeks, or maybe you're just seeing them now for the first time, uh, if we are honest, particularly in our American context, I think number four and number five typically are the ones that we will struggle with. Uh, sin in and make mistakes the most. And what I want to offer you to this morning is as we walk through this passage, it's going to be a story uh, about the relationship, a conversation between Jesus and Peter in particular. I want you to ask yourself a question throughout this service, and that is, how am I approaching my relationship with God? Uh, do I tend to, whatever the area may be, am I in this position where my hands are closed, my fists are locked, and I'm saying, no, Lord, I can't, I can't give you this area or this part of my life. I can't trust you in this area. Or, by God's grace, am I moving more and more in my daily life to this position where I'm saying, Lord, I am surrendered to whatever it is that you want to do in and through me. Whatever I have is yours, my time, My commitments, my family, my questions, my fears, my anxieties, even my hurts, all of it I hold with open palm before you. With that in mind, I want us to walk through the scripture now. I'm going to read to us Luke 5, I'll read verses 1 through 11 to us this morning. We don't do this every week, but I'm going to invite you in a posture of honoring God's word and saying, I am here to hear from you. Let's all stand as we hear from God's word this morning. Let's stand and I'll read to us Luke 5, 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, on Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, "'Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord.' For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon." And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we desire this morning by your grace and mercy alone to leave everything and follow you. We submit ourselves afresh to your word. Thank you for the good news of the gospel contained within. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we walk through Luke 5 this morning, I want to offer to you what I see in the Scripture as four steps of surrender to Jesus. There is a progression of four steps of surrendering to Jesus. And the first really begins with us, and I'll suggest to you that this is, uh, number one, our faithless reasons, our faithless reasons. We see this in particular in verses 1 through 5. In other words, these are the reasons that we come before God in our own way, and we say, this is why I think that I should do it my way, and I don't really trust yet doing it your way. So the context, the scene here is Jesus is preaching, as he always does, in power, and the crowds are not just there, they are hearing, they are engaging. Jesus is powerfully preaching the good news of the gospel of faith and repentance. And there are so many people that Jesus says to Peter or Simon, who is nearby, let me borrow your boat. This is his first request. And he is essentially saying, let me use your boat as a floating pulpit, We're going to try and do that here this morning in front of you so we can sort of reenact it. Didn't quite work out. Maybe next week, floating pulpit. But Jesus is on the the pulpit, so to speak, in the boat. And as he's preaching in power, he comes back to Peter after having taught the people, and he comes with a, we'll say, an even bigger request of Peter. He says to Peter, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now, put yourself in Peter's position, um, and think about yourself this morning. Do you believe that Jesus knows what he's talking about? In the situations that are going on in your life this morning, is it your predisposition to assume that regardless of whether or not what's going on makes sense to you, that Jesus knows what he is doing? See, in our sinfulness, our automatic response, the way that we tend outside of grace to respond is to sort of usurp authority and take it back and say, yes, you're in charge, God. Yes, you're God, but you don't really know what's going on. And so we sort of want to have this this shared authority with Jesus. Um, Let me lovingly say to you, that is not how Jesus works. This particular experience that Peter's going to have, we know from verse 10, if we go almost to the end, we know that this scene is to specifically teach Peter, James, and John the other disciples that he has yet to call yet, and all of us as disciples this morning, it is to teach us about sharing the good news of the gospel. It is ultimately to teach us about personal evangelism. That is me talking to another person and sharing with them about Jesus, the savior of sinners, and how they can come to know him as savior as well. Now, put yourself in, in the fisherman's shoes here again. Think about the fisherman's perspective and what has just taken place. For Jesus to come up to Peter had to have been, to say the least, incredibly jarring, um, disturbing. And it it is demanding what Jesus is saying to Peter here. And I I can imagine, again, Peter, his mentality when Jesus comes up and gives him advice about fishing is, I got it. I don't need your help. Uh, I can handle it. Uh, The the language that we tend to use in our own lives is, "I'm, I'm in control. Um, we come up with our reasons, right? These are the reasons, Jesus, that I know better. For Peter, they were these. One, Jesus, in case you didn't know, I was up all night. Okay, I was fishing the whole night, and the results were that I caught nothing. I went at the best time, and I caught nothing. This is not a good place to fish. Um, When we think about ourselves, sharing the gospel, listen, Jesus, I tried, I talk to my friend, my coworker, my family member. They just don't want to listen. It's not a good place. It's not a good time. Jesus, remember, what is Jesus, humanly speaking, what is Jesus' profession? He's a carpenter. Okay, Peter, obviously, his profession is? He's a fisherman. Right. so Peter's got to have this mentality of, I, I know what I'm doing. This is not my first time on the boat. Um. I am planning to, after this service, jet on over to the Tampa Bay area. Um, I'm going to ask the security guards very nicely if I can walk out onto the Buccaneers field and just have a quick, you know, three points with Tom Brady. Just walk him through. Hey, Tom, listen, I know you've been playing for 20 some odd years. This is your 189th year in the league. But I noticed recently, you know, that when you pull back, you might want to, you know, a little bit further, and I'm just going to give him my top three ideas of how I think he could play football better. I can imagine that that is a little bit of how Peter feels when Jesus shows up, the carpenter, to tell him how to fish. Uh, I think there's at least two things going on for Peter. First of all, it's inconvenient. Second of all, it's illogical. I think this very much plays into our same conversation about sharing the gospel. Peter is clear. I've had no sleep I'm running on no sleep, and I've just finished, the Bible says, washing the nets, which typically this is about a thousand pounds of nets that he has just finished cleaning up, putting away so they can dry so he can go out that night and do it again. It is an inconvenient time to go fishing. Is it an inconvenient time for you to share the gospel? Uh, it's also illogical because it's daytime. The best time to catch the fish, he is saying, is at night when they are coming up to the surface. And during the day, it is hot and the fish are going into the deeper water. I just tried, Jesus. It's inconvenient, it's illogical. But that's not what Simon Peter says, is it? He does not say, Jesus, I can't. How often is that how we engage with the Lord? I can't, Lord. Or sometimes it's a little bit harder of a response. I won't. How many of us, when we see opportunities to to say a word about Jesus to somebody, our response is, I won't. Um, It's not logical, God. It's not convenient for me right now. Um, He doesn't say, I don't trust you, Jesus. He doesn't say, "I, I trust me and I'm gonna do it my way. And by the way, you see in verse two and again in verse five that what's being communicated here is that Peter and we are completely futile on our own, outside of Jesus' power. He caught zero fish. But what is Peter's response? He doesn't understand everything. I don't know that he's even a believer yet in this early stage of his relationship with Jesus, but he says, at your word, I will put down the nets. I don't understand. If we can read between the lines, I think what Peter was feeling was, I don't understand, but I will obey. I don't understand, but I trust that you have a better, wiser purpose than what I can see with my eyes in this moment. So the question for us this morning is, will you set aside your reasons? And will you trust? Number two, in this progression of surrender, we see Jesus really enter the story powerfully. Number two, Jesus' miraculous catch. And I want to hone in on verses six and seven here first. Here again, God's word, chapter five, six and seven. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. This is nothing other than an outpouring of Jesus' miraculous kingdom power on earth. Jesus can do Anything. Filling those boats with fish is nothing to King Jesus, so let us place our trust in him. We know historically that the boats that these guys were riding in were probably somewhere around uh, seven feet wide and 27 feet long. Seven feet wide, 27 feet long. Um, I'm not a mathematician, but somebody way smarter than me has actually taken the time to do the math to figure out how many fish would be required to sink those two boats. And they estimate that between three and five thousand fish per boat necessary to actually make a boat that big sink. What must have Peter have been thinking? Of? Peter, a few years later, is going to preach his very first sermon in Acts chapter two. We looked at that last year. And in Acts chapter two, the first time, his first ever sermon, the Bible says three thousand people came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. By Acts chapter 4, the Bible tells us specifically that that number had grown to 5,000 people. Do not limit Jesus. Do not assume that he doesn't know what he's doing. Stand back and watch what he can do. See, here's the deal. The good news of Jesus and people coming to Saving Faith is not about you. (laughs) If I can relieve you in the best way possible, it's not even on you. See, here's the wonderful, glorious reality of Scripture. God is sovereign over every reality of life, including salvation, and I am not. I cannot change a single heart. I cannot convince you to believe. I can't even change my own heart. But God, in his kindness and goodness, grace, and indeed his sovereignty, changes lives every single day. The Holy Spirit moves dead people to life every single day. His goodness and sovereignty is the best reason ever for me to share the good news with someone else. Look at verse 9 and 10. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. I think a question for us, if we can just open up our hearts a little bit this morning is do you want to be astonished by the Lord? Do you want to be a part of seeing conversions in this church and in this city, uh, of seeing genuine heartfelt revival and moving towards Christ? Do you want to be, maybe even, I want to, for the very first time, I want to lead someone that I know to saving faith in Jesus. I promise all those things are astounding. Far more than than just a literal boat filled with fish. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, pastor of a small church church, In Northampton, Massachusetts in the early 1700s, historical records indicate that the city population at that time, the whole city was 1,200 people. And a reporter wrote that after the first great awakening that began in Northampton under the teaching ministry of Jonathan Edwards, the report in that newspaper article was that after that movement of God's spirit, that there was not a single person that they could find in that city who was now not a believer. Do you want the same for your city? How astounding would it be if the 120,000 or so people that occupy the city of Palm Bay, that if you went to Walmart, every single one of them knew Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. I want to be astounded like that. Um, I reread a, a sermon this week from a pastor named Byron Paulus um, that I heard, preach, I heard him preach it uh, 15 years ago uh, at Covenant Presbyterian Church. And the title of his sermon then was Astonished at What Happens When Jesus Shows Up, preaching this same same passage. And and I'll be honest with you, as I reread it this week, it it made me uncomfortable to think about the distance between my faith and the power of God. Um, But it gave me what I'm going to describe as a holy discontent. Like, I don't want me, I don't want my family, and my church to continue to be in a position where we're not daily astonished by what Jesus is doing, and that is exactly what we see here in this passage. And, and Byron Paulus teases out this idea of astonished, and he gives us a couple of observations. He says, I bet that Peter and we also should be astonished at the place where God can work, at the place where God can work. Uh, his point was that it was the wrong place to fish, humanly speaking. And we may feel like America is too post-Christian. They won't believe here. Their hearts are hard. I've tried. It didn't work but you will be astonished at the place where people can come to Christ when Jesus shows up. He said, I think that that we would be astonished at the methods that God chooses to use. Notice, Peter does not have uh, the the latest and greatest in bait and tackle. He doesn't have superior fishing poles, doesn't have a brand new state-of-the-art boat. He has nothing. His methods were weak, traditional, old-fashioned, we as a church, we don't, we don't have a glorious building to impress people with. Uh, my genes are not nearly tight enough to qualify as a trendy pastor. And they're not going to be, for the record. We, amen. That's what it took to get my first amen in three years from John Ball. Is that right there? That's fine. Now I know. Now I know. Um. We don't have the most dynamic and amazing programming, but what we do have is the spirit of the living God. And every single church that professes Jesus as Lord and Savior has the same thing. We should be astonished by the methods that Jesus will choose to use. Paul says that we ought to be astonished at the timing of God. Again, it's the heat of the day. This is not a logical time for fish. They go down for the cool water. And it's very easy, again, for us to say, I'm too busy. They won't listen anyway. They're not ready to hear. But if we are willing to trust the Lord, I think that we'll be astonished at his timing and astonished at the people, you and me, that God will choose to use. None of the original 12 disciples who become apostles, none of them have a resume. They're uneducated. They are not socially uh, acceptable. To be a fisherman is among the lowest of the low in terms of professions. None of them are believers Uh, when Jesus comes to them. Peter himself has a massive anger problem. Uh, Matthew is a tax collector. He is on the the bad team in in that era and, and social culture. But we will be astonished that God chooses to use people like us because, again, it's not about us. It's about his grace and mercy working in and through us. Do you believe that Jesus can astound us here, this church, this city, this nation, and around the world. Number three, we move from us to Jesus back to us. And I think what we see, particularly in verse eight, is our total surrender. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, "'Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord.'" There's two kinds of surrender and we need both. The first here is surrendering to Jesus as a savior. See, coming face to face with a holy, miracle-working, powerful God shows Peter again the reality of his inabilities and the reality of his sinfulness. And we ought to be simultaneously reminded about our problems uh, as well. What's striking to me is what fisherman is honest about a day when they caught no fish? I know we got some fishermen in a room, right? We got some fishermen. Peter chooses to be honest. Are you honest with God and the people that God has put in your life? Um, it's one thing, you know, if, if I am asked, how's it going in your life? How's it going in your prayer walk? How's it going in your marriage? How's it going raising your kids? And I volunteer a response. But Peter is not waiting for someone to ask. Peter is willing to volunteer to get vulnerable before other people and before Jesus and say, this is this is me. I can't do it. I'm a sinful man. You should get away from me, Jesus, if you knew how sinful he was. Notice, Jesus doesn't do that, does he? Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinner. Jesus doesn't go, yeah, you're gross. I'm out of here. He does the exact opposite, doesn't he? Peter took responsibility for his problems. He doesn't say... Depart from James and John, Lord. They are really messed up. He doesn't blame shift his, to, to his church or his pastor or his culture or politics. He says, I'm a sinner. Uh, There's a documentary that came out 12 years ago that I really, really like. I especially like the title. Maybe you recall it. The title is Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. Good documentary, right? <laughs> fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. If you haven't watched it, I highly recommend it. It's fascinating. There's a guy who was fat sick, nearly dead, um, and he, he sort of reaches this moment of realizing this is not okay. Like, I really have to deal with this, and he decides to begin a, a juice fast, essentially, and he starts j- drinking only fruit and vegetable juice, and slowly but surely, he begins to see radical life-changing progress in his life. He comes across another guy who is a truck driver who has all of the same major severe health issues, and, you know, he keeps it to himself and doesn't tell him anything. No. He tells this guy, listen, I've experienced the power, the life-changing power of juicing and the problems that you have, I have them too. Or, Or rather, I'm recovering from them in an amazing way that I can only explain because of the juicing. You should try juicing too. And this man also converts to juicing and his life is radically changed. Now what we see there is evangelism in action. I was hopeless, something totally outside of me has changed my life, and I see that you're struggling too. I want you to experience it as well. And both of them, their lives were changed. Acts chapter 16 and verse 31, Peter is preaching and he says to the masses, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If you're listening to me talk this morning, you're like, what is sin? Well, sin is the bad things that we do. And we know we all do bad things. If you come in this morning heavy laden with guilt, with frustration, knowing I do things that I ought not to do and the good things that I should do, I can't seem to do them. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father through me. Everyone comes to the Father through Jesus, there is forgiveness. There is new life in him this morning. And I beg you to set aside your self-reliance this morning and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, forgive me. I want new life in Jesus. And he will always answer yes. And if you're a believer this morning, that is the message that we, that we share. One other little nuance that takes place here. In Luke chapter five, you get a very different Peter than you get in John chapter 21. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels. Luke 5 is very early on. Peter and Jesus, this isn't the very first time they've met, but they're just getting to know each other. John 21 is after Jesus has died and resurrected. Oh, and by the way, it's after Peter has betrayed Jesus. And in John 21, the scenes are almost identical. In both situations, Peter is out fishing, Peter catches nothing. James and John are there with him as well. And in both situations, Jesus shows up. And Jesus says, you should keep trying to fish. And they go, that's silly. And then a miracle takes place and tons and tons of fish and the boats sink again. But here's the difference. In Luke chapter 5, when Peter experiences Jesus, he says, depart from me, I'm a sinner. Peter does a whole bunch more stupid sinning over the next three years, but he also is growing In a personal saving relationship with Jesus. And he's understanding that Jesus is a God of grace. And so in John 21, after having lied and betrayed Jesus, when he realizes that it's Jesus, he doesn't say to Jesus, Depart from me. You know what he does? He rips off his outer garment and he runs into the water and begins swimming to embrace Jesus. That's growth and grace, believer. That you move from, I'm a sinner and I've made mistakes, to I'm a sinner. And Jesus radically loves me. And when I make mistakes, because this side of glory, I will make mistakes. I run to him, not away from him. Some of us are believers this morning, but we're still caught in Luke chapter 5 Christianity. And we haven't quite made it to John chapter 21. What's the difference? Stop relying on yourself. Stop approaching Jesus this way and go, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I'm surrendered to you. Thank you for your kindness and your mercy towards me. He surrendered to Jesus as a savior and he surrendered to Jesus as Lord. The word Lord is the word Kyrios in Greek. It is a word that Old Testament and new is ascribed always to God. Jesus is God. He's not baby God. He's not little brother God. He's not gonna be God someday. He's not gonna get his own planet and you're gonna get your own planet someday. No, 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 no. Jesus is God. Is Jesus God though in your life? Is Jesus Lord in your life? See, Savior and Lord always come as a package deal. I had a conversation with my mentor pastor this week. I was working through some some of my own issues with him, and we're talking back and forth. He's asking me questions, and I'm answering them. And um, he says this to me. He says, Ben, what you're saying to me sounds a lot like negotiation with God. But what you should be saying is surrender with God. And that was pretty humbling. And so i offer you the same question and, and humbling thought process. Are you in negotiations with God? I am all the time. But what he's inviting me to is not negotiation. Okay, Jesus, if you give me this, I'll give you that. He's asking for surrender. Fall to my knees. Jesus, you are Lord. Whatever you want, that's what I want. What a difference. And in that, there is freedom. And in that is where the lordship of Christ is manifested and we see astonishing things. Miracles? Maybe. I don't know. People coming to Christ? Yes. Lives changed? Yes. Uh, Byron Paul, the story that he shares that impacted me the most, I think, this week was there is a a church in Cairo, Egypt. Uh, And the name of the church, maybe you've heard of it, is called the Church at the Dump. Church at the Dump, Um, not figuratively. So there are 18 million people in the city of Cairo, Egypt, and there are apparently, at least at that time, about 50,000 people who are the rejects of society who live most of their lives in the dump. And there was a man who was a believer who had a trash route and would go to the dump to drop off his trash every day and came to realize that there are a whole lot of people living there And he actually began talking with them. He would get out of his truck and have conversations with them. And apparently several of them actually became Christians, declared saving faith in in Jesus. And as time continued on, uh, this trash truck driver um, felt that the Lord was telling him specifically, you need to actually go and live among them in the dump. And church plant, pastor, raise up a new church of believers in the dump. And he did exactly what you or I would do. He did exactly what Jonah did. He physically got on a bus and drove the opposite direction. Um, as he tells the story, he made it two stops before he was compelled with the reality that, that whatever misery may await me by living in a dump, to be outside of the Lord's will would be far more miserable. And he went back. And presently, there is a church of 5,000 believers who live and worship in the dump? Do you want to be astounded by what only God can do? And when the opportunity presents itself, will you negotiate or will you surrender? Even if it's illogical, even if you're not good at it, I'm not good at sharing the gospel. Even if they don't want to hear it, nevertheless, Lord, I will let down my nets. Fourth and finally, Jesus' call to follow and to fish. Follow and fish. The end of verse 10 and and verse 11, Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. From where we get the phrase, fishers of men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. There are so many times in the New Testament where Jesus says, particularly to one of the disciples, don't be afraid. And you notice what always accompanies that, the context, is a terrifying situation. (laughs) Massive storms, about to drown. Don't be afraid. Why? Because what you see around you is nothing compared to the power and the presence of a holy God. I don't know about you, but for me, when, when I think don't be afraid, it's fear of failure. It's fear of man. It's fear of disappointing someone. It's fear of being rejected. It's fear of giving up control. It's fear of letting go. There are two kinds of people in this room this morning. Those who have recognized that those who have those issues and those who are just not willing to admit it yet. We we are all right there. We all have those types of fears. And I would just humbly ask you, when is the last time that you shared the gospel with someone in your life? something to think about and begin to pray about this morning. Jesus says, leave the boats, leave everything, and follow me. Leave the boat and follow me. To follow is to be a disciple. It's to say, Lord Jesus, I believe that your plan for my life is way better than my own plan. And everything that I have, I'm going to hold it this way in my orientation towards you. Where does Jesus want you to follow him? In surrender. The specific question that we, we began with this morning who in my life and in my city needs to hear the gospel? You notice again, Peter did not catch a single fish until Jesus showed up. Don't give up. And Jesus' request was will you put your nets out? And here is In this commissioning moment at the very end, he says, from now on, you will be catching men. You'll be catching men. Now, you may think this is where the the fishing metaphor just crumbles, right? Because I don't know about you, but when I catch a fish and it looks tasty, I eat that fish, right? I I do know that unless you put it back, 100% of the fish who get caught are going to die. Like, so... Salvation, evangelism, dead fish, I'm not getting it. What's interesting here is that God and his goodness and providence here in the Greek, when it says catching men, there are two Greek words that are combined to give us this nuance, and it's the word in Greek, alive and catch. Alive and catch. So when Jesus says, you will now be catching men, they understand very clearly that you are catching men and women, boys and girls, to life. When you share the good news of the gospel, it is the end of a broken life. It is the end of a life of sin and hopelessness. And it is the beginning of new life. It is the the beginning of, of real life. What you have is the greatest rescue mission of all time. What you have is the best news for the world. What you have is the only cure to sin, Satan, and death. What we have been called to is to follow Jesus and catch others unto life. A life that begins the moment you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and ends never. In a wonderful, glorious eternity where we'll be face to face with God. Amen. Let's pray together.